0: This episode marks the 100th of this podcast, and if I had thought about this over three years ago, that I would, A, first of all, be doing a podcast, and B, that I would make it 100 episodes, uh, I don't think I would have believed you. So um, if you know anything about me, I am not backward-looking. But I do want to just say thank you to everybody who has been a guest. First and foremost, that's the most important thing. And also to everybody who has shared or suggested guests or um, shared it. I think I already said that. (laughs) Uh, But it means a lot that uh, anybody listens to this because I didn't think I would ever do it. I didn't know how to do it. And to have anybody listen is still just an amazing gift. And when people ask me before they're a guest what it's about, I like to tell them that I want it to be as if there's a microphone between two close friends and we're having a beer or a coffee and we're catching up and sharing stories. And so I hope that comes through. I don't have an endpoint. I would love to make millions of dollars off of this, but I think if people chase the money first, then the quality suffers. And so I consider myself fortunate to have 100 close personal friends that have taken time out of their day to do this. And this episode's no exception. And I couldn't think of a better fit for all of this for the team effort and for the spirit of this podcast and today's guest. Enjoy. And thanks again so much. I really appreciate it. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I didn't really are. I graduated Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills.
1: I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you?
0: I do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for sending me guest suggestions. I truly appreciate it. And this is the 100th episode, and I'm super excited to have this person with me. It is she is the founder of Slope Threads, which is essentially rent the runway for ski apparel. Garden Gurus, which is an amazing pandemic pivot. The recently founded DU Angels, a VC firm, got an MBA from the University of Denver, Daniels College of Business, been in marketing, PR, biz dev for legal firms, and with that, Sarah Laughlin, good to talk to you again. Thanks for making the time.
1: Hey, Matt. Good to talk with you again. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we met at uh, Project Excite, right? It was the DU mentoring program. And I remember after you and I talked the first time and we met, it reminded me of that sticker that you see on cars around that are like who rescued who because after talking to you and <laughs> <laughs> your business, I was like, I don't have shit to tell her about mentoring because slope threads I thought was really fully baked. And uh you've been a mentor to me too and an inspiration. And so um yeah, it's just great. So where did you want to start because slope threads in twenty nineteen like, oh my goodness,
1: <laughs> Oh yeah, um well, where should we start um well is are we are we tagging on to the previous podcast, or are we just starting fresh here?
0: Whatever you want to do, we could do both, so we could do this as a part two for slope threads,
1: oh, or we could I do this as a full. We just start fresh, and I'll try to give like more background leading up to Slope Threads, maybe. Hopefully, you All can right. make this part out.
0: <laughs> sure, I got people for that. I'm a big time podcast star. I got people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Um. Well, yeah. So uh, I founded Slope Threads actually in late uh, 2018. I launched like right around Thanksgiving. Um, 2018 and shipped my first orders in December. So yeah, as, as you said, uh, you know, for for anyone listening, Slope Threads is essentially rent the runway, but for ski apparel, um, we put together kind of high-end ski outfits that consist of jacket, pants, goggles, and gloves, and people can rent those for a daily rate. Um, I ship them all over the country so people can have the ski gear delivered to uh, their vacation destination or their hotel or rental condo or wherever they're staying. So they don't have to pack it in their luggage. That was a big thing. So um, I had actually come up with the idea to launch slope threads because I spent 10 years. Well, I'm originally from Colorado, but I spent nearly 10 years living in the Washington DC area and um, sort of career building out there um, and traveling back to Colorado to ski and just realizing what a pain and what a hassle it was to bring all my ski stuff every year. And because I was only skiing once a year, it, you know, it doesn't like always fit right. Like maybe you gained a few pounds over the holidays and,
0: you know, I thought
1: like, why isn't there a rent the runway for ski gear where I can just get like the latest, greatest styles and have it shipped right to my um, like Airbnb and in Winter Park. So um, that, you know, had an epiphany and thought that would be a great business to start. And so I launched that in late 2018. I was actually doing my MBA at that time um, at the University of Denver. And so I was basically running, launching and running my startup full time while doing my MBA at night. Um, And then, yeah, ended up going through that DU Accelerator program um for kind of student run ventures and got connected with you as my wonderful mentor and yes we both saved each other i think <laughs> i love that bumper sticker it's great and i think it describes our kind of our collaborative working style ever since and i think we both really bring a lot of value to to what we're doing so um So yeah, that is Slope Threads. Slope Threads is still going. Um, I'm just kind of launching into my third season. Uh, I haven't raised any money yet. Um, Some of that has, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, I was really trying to grow it and build it as much as I could um, before raising any outside or venture capital, just so I could hang on to as much of my own business as I possibly could. Um, The other kind of I guess it's a double-edged sword with slope threads, but you know, on one side it's, it's a seasonal business. So that helps me, um, in some ways because, you know, I only run that about five, six months out of the year. And then I really kind of can do other things, which I guess we'll get into, uh, the other six months of the year. So, but the other problem with that is that I only have revenue for six months out of the year. Um, And I think that is kind of a conundrum when you're talking to outside investors and venture capitalists, they don't necessarily like the seasonal revenue model, which um, I don't think I really had considered that before sort of launching Slope Threads. Like, I don't know that I was trying to set out to run a venture backed business, but I definitely see that, um, you know, in trying to just invest and grow this organically myself. Um, there are definitely times where I'm like, if only I had another partner or another investor or, um, you know, I definitely see, uh, the appeal to raising and growing and scaling in that way. So, um, Anyway, for all those reasons, I, you know, haven't raised any outside capital with slope threads. I've been growing it organically, season over season. Um, last season, you know, in spite of COVID, um, I grew over a hundred percent, about a hundred and ten percent growth last year, year over year from wow. my my first season. Um, and that was, you know, and then in March, COVID happened awful. Um, I think I refunded like 650 customer orders for March and April. That's our busiest time. We had a ton of orders booked for spring break. So I think it was March 9th when everything kind of like shut down and, um, people were afraid to travel and actually the ski resorts were ordered to close. And I just remember (laughs) like hearing the ski resort closure announcement and then like, You know, within minutes, my email box was just flooding with like every customer booked for the entire season had just canceled. And I was just like, it was an upsetting day. We'll just put it that way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's pause for a wine and tequila break on that particular segment. I I remember that Elizabeth and I were going to go use our last two Loveland four packs for her spring break from high school. And then I remember seeing that and then immediately thought of you and that whole mix of like, oh, well, we can't go skiing. But every time I think of skiing, I think of you and slope threads. And I was like, well, holy shit. Like you're, the places where your customers use your products is closed. Like nobody's going to do slope threads to go for a hike. You don't need that stuff for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty much the ski market and not just the ski market. It's really the travel ski market. So people who, you know, not just traveling to Colorado um, because, you know, I ship all over the country, but people who travel from warm weather States to go skiing that don't necessarily have this gear that, you know, that's why they're my customer to begin with. And so, yep. I mean, travel plans were screwed up. The resorts themselves were closed or closing and um, yeah, it was bad. I think it was March 9th. Yeah, that was a bad day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember in some of those meetings at DU when it was, it wasn't really necessarily a pitch competition. It was like progressing through the the business model. But I remember some of the questions from, I guess there was one session that had some more uh, like seasoned VC or more investors in there. And I, I, when people ask a critical question and they're sort of deconstructing a business, I look at it, I always try to look for the the grain of truth in what they're saying. But, you know, one of the things that you got pushback on, which I fundamentally disagreed with, was, it, and it came from people that lived in Colorado. If you live in Colorado, it was like 23 degrees today, you know, December 2nd, you have to have gloves and a hat and coat and things like that. But if you're in Florida, like my sister in Texas and, you know, like you back East, you don't really need or have a coat. And that was one of the things where it's like, we're not, and, and you handle that so well, you push back and said, we're not marketing to people in Colorado. Right. (laughs) Well, we're a Colorado based business.
1: Yeah. Like the season pass diehard skiers are. yeah, that's not, that's not my market at all.
0: (laughs) Right. Like you could fully exclude, um, Tahoe and Denver and Salt Lake from your, any sort of marketing ever, because they don't need that stuff. You need people that are, you know, coming from Los Angeles and those warm weather States. And, and, and again, kudos to you for understanding it, having the confidence to push back, but also, you know, what is the, the greater truth in those criticisms and those questions?
1: Oh, you're asking. So nice
0: me. job. No, I'm just saying right, nice okay. job. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really right. I mean, I think it really came down to, I mean, I had so much I just was so inspired and I had so much energy when I had the idea for Slope Threads and I just really felt like I had a great idea. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I have felt that same level of energy or inspiration or excitement about anything I've come up with since. And I'd like to think that I have a very sort of entrepreneurial creative brain where I am, you know, sort of taking in information from the world around me and synthesizing it. And, you know, I'm always on the lookout for kind of problem solving opportunities and, in really that take the form of businesses or um, entrepreneurial endeavors. But yeah, I haven't been as excited about anything as I was about slope threads. And I think part of that was because I really understood the opportunity and the problem because I had faced it myself and sort of traveling from a place that, you know, doesn't have a lot of ski activity in, you know, putting that stuff on once a year and yeah, figuring out that it doesn't fit and then paying $50 to check a bag each way. Like I had experienced the problem myself. And, um, I mean, I just really was inspired, uh, by the idea and, and finding a solution to that problem. Um, and I really felt, I had a lot of confidence and sort of that I understood my market, um, and kind of the nice thing And I I don't know, for whatever reason, I mean, I think maybe, maybe I just got lucky, but that hunch turned out to be correct. And the data that I've been able to acquire over the last, uh, two years and doing marketing and then, you know, looking at who my customers are, you know, where they're, where they're based out of, like where their billing address is versus their shipping address. Like where, where do they live versus where are they going skiing? Um, you know, I think the data has like really confirmed sort of that hunch, like who the market was. Um, and now that I have the data, I'm able to really hone in on sort of that target market and that customer that I initially had in mind and that I really, um, are the reason why I created slope threads. So, um, it's, it's nice though, after being in business for a couple of years to really have that information at your fingertips to help you kind of, you know, make marketing decisions and figure out how to spend your money and, figure out who your market is. And it also informs, you know, my purchasing decisions from an inventory standpoint um, and things like that as well. So it does get easier as you go and you just collect more and more data about your market. But yeah, I've felt pretty confident in that from the very beginning.
0: Well, and you're not completely blazing untracked powder here to borrow a ski analogy because (laughs) there's rent the runway and there's (laughs) fresh tracks. Yeah. There's rent the runway and there's um, a lot of service-based businesses like that. And if you're dealing with people that are like the bag fee, like I've traveled with a bike before and I've flown with a bike. What a nightmare. And we did that because that's, you know, a fitted item and it's personal, but if I well, had I an option. It, I think
1: there's companies now that will ship your bike to where you're going. Have you heard of that?
0: Yeah, not to Europe, though. It was like almost the oh, price okay. of the bike. It was ridiculous. Oh, okay. It was, you know, it, well, it wasn't that much. It was a couple hundred bucks, but, you know, still flying it and all that other stuff. But, um, yeah, and I love that you're, you had the bumper sticker pitch just naturally for what it did, for what Slope Threads did.
1: Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> it's a pretty easy concept. And yeah, I mean, it's not a brand new shocking business model. Um, I mean, I had faith sort of in kind of my ingenuity and that I was sort of launching like a niche rent the runway, but also confidence in that business model because I'm like, well, if they can make it work, I can make it work. You know, they buy these products wholesale. They offer free shipping both ways. Obviously, that is built into the daily price. But once you own the inventory and you rent it out, I mean, it was a pretty, um, you know, straightforward calculation in terms of determining like where my break even is for the number of days each outfit is rented and things like that. So, you know, I did have confidence that it could be a profitable venture if really I could get any customers at all. So, um, and being in business school, sort of at the same time while launching. Slope Threads, I think was also just a really unique, awesome experience because I could run those financial models, uh, you know, and have, you know, a tenured professor in finance and financial modeling review them. And it's like, wow, I don't know what you'd have to pay somebody to do that in the real world, but probably a lot. Um, so it was just really cool to kind of build this and grow it uh, while I was, you know, getting that amazing education and sort of learning about like profitability and costs and accounting and financial modeling and forecasting. Um, all of that was just, it was just an amazing experience to have in tandem with building really my first startup. So it was just, it was awesome.
0: Did anything about slope threads count towards your grade or your credit? (laughs) Cause you're
1: (laughs) not at all, but, um, I definitely got some credit as I think I was really the only. I mean, I think everyone else was everyone else in my cohort or my class was um, really kind of rising the corporate ladder. And I think I was like maybe the only person who just had gone completely rogue in my MBA program and st- had struck out on my own. And so I it was definitely fun. So I, I don't know, I think I got some kudos and some street cred for actually like being the only person running their own business like during this this MBA program. But no, no, no class credit per se. But <laughs> I mean, oftentimes, like we would get, we would work on our own company. So whether it was a company that you were employed with, or whether it was, you know, in my case, my own company, those were the case studies. And those were, you're definitely thinking through the business problem of our current organization. And so I got, you know, I really got to work a lot on slope threads. Um, especially in sort of the the second half of that program once it it was alive.
0: I'm going to come back to the the nuts and bolts of it uh, in a second, but something you said a few minutes ago I wanted to dig into. You said you had the faith that it was going to work and the confidence that it was going to work. Where did that faith and confidence in yourself come from?
1: Well, um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I, I do think I I had just been sort of an observer, like as a consumer for a long, long time. Um, so again, I think seeing that other people, like I didn't reinvent the wheel here. I came up with a you know, not a subscription model, but a, you know, a, a rental, sh- like free shipping rental model, similar to this other billion-dollar company that had been around for a few years that I have personally used, and I just thought, kind of, well, if they could do it, I could probably figure it out, um, and then you know I'll stay in my my niche. And I'm in Colorado; like, Colorado is a perfect place to do this. And I don't know, really, maybe I had too much confidence, but um, you know, I really just sort of used similar business models out there to kind of guide me um, in terms of pricing um i really i mean i didn't really have any idea of like the problem was like well one of the main problems i had i think in kind of jumping in was i did not have industry connections so i had not worked in the outdoor industry at all mm. um and so i had to kind of drum up these wholesale relationships like out of nowhere um, and just start like organically like reaching out like through LinkedIn to these random gear reps. And like, I just knew nothing about the world. I didn't know the jargon. It was full of like, you know, all the gear reps that rep the major brands are all like, you know, 25 to 32 year old guys who probably call each other bro and like rock climb every weekend. And I oh, for really, sure I was like, not, I was not in that crowd. So that was kind of difficult. It was just like breaking into that scene and like getting those sales reps to talk to me and then getting the companies to actually sell you product as a new business. They won't give you any terms I had to pay cash up front essentially for all of my gear, my first year. Um, I eventually later in the season was able to get terms once they realized I could like pay my bill. But yeah, I mean, getting any kind of credit as a startup is really rough. Like if you're buying wholesale and inventory. Um, so you know, that was kind of, that was a unique challenge. Um, and I think I probably underestimated um, that piece of it. And even to this day, um, getting people, I now have a storefront in kind of a brick and mortar based in Golden, Colorado. But my first year, I really ran out everything out of a private office of a co-working space, uh, which was bananas. Well, I mean, I really shipped the first orders literally out of my apartment, but then the first year, I ran it out of a co-working space. So I didn't have a storefront where customers could come. And I got turned down by a lot of major gear brands. I wouldn't sell to me because I did not have a brick and mortar, um, and they, they and that kind of seemed to me like they were just behind the times or something on that. Because so much and now especially with you know COVID, everything is online. Um, you know, e-commerce is massive, and I just thought that was like so sort of antiquated and just such a way for them to miss out on me as a customer by not selling to me just because I didn't have a brick and mortar and that it was online only. So that was another challenge, like at the very beginning. Um, and that was just all a learning curve, like learning about kind of the retail process and the wholesale buying process and getting contacts in the outdoor industry and then getting them to give you credit as a brand new company and startup without 10 years of sales history. All of that was really difficult. Um, so I don't know. It's a good thing. I went in with a lot of energy and confidence. And I was really just honestly so far in by the time I was ha- was having those conversations. And I was like, well, this is really hard and this sucks, but like, I can't give up now. Um, and I think I remember telling you the story one time, but uh, my first, I went to the outdoor retailer trade show. I think it was in 2017. And I had the idea for slope threads. I think it was early in the year, it was like February of 2017. And I had had the idea for Slope Threads for a while. And I had already started building the website and kind of putting the plan together. And my plan was to go to this trade show and tell everyone about my brand new, awesome business idea and get all these contacts in the outdoor industry and, you know, then be ready to launch, like in the, you know, late summer, early fall to like start marketing. And so I went to this trade show and it was just really demoralizing because I couldn't meet with anyone I wanted to meet with. No one had time. People always set up these meetings in advance with their super insider circle in the outdoor industry and all the gear guys just want to talk to the other gear guys. Um, so I'm just like this random chick walking around this trade show trying to like meet people. And I just came away from that, like totally demoralized. And I think I even like cried that night when I got home just thinking like I am so stupid like I can never pull this off so I mean I guess yeah there were moments of confidence and then there were moments like that where I was like what am I doing I am insane and no one cares about what I'm doing and I have no idea what I'm doing so I don't blame them for not caring about what I'm doing like so yeah there's definitely been moments of confidence and faith and then there's you know the other side of being an entrepreneur, which is like, Oh my God, what have I done with my life? What have I done with my money? Am I insane? Is this ever going to work? Like who would, this is a horrible idea. (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, that's kind of how this podcast started. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I wanted to dig into entrepreneurs and it was originally called burn the boats. I'm not sure if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but it's called burn the boats because it was that Viking term for victory or die. Right. And then I found out that I thought I was being super clever and there were like 70 other knuckleheads who had some variation of that podcast. And, and I always wanted to dive into, did they ever quit? How close did they get to quitting? And for me, it was unpacking the, the 2 a.m. moment on a Wednesday when nobody cares and you don't care and it's just been, you know, so much effort and nothing to show for it. And I guess the question is, you know, that, that seems like an inflection point after Outdoor Retailer, but did you ever quit Slope Threads even for like an hour?
1: um kind of yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think so in my mind yeah um the first be- pre-launch was really really hard because like at that stage it's an idea and you're investing all this time and all this money in my case because I had to buy buy inventory so there was really mm-hmm. there's no way I could have just launched this taken pre-orders or something I don't know I mean I had to buy the gear like I was really all in but be- like before, yeah, I had to be all in, I had to buy all this gear. And I guess worst case scenario, I was thinking like, I'll uh, just like try to sell it at wholesale and recoup my money on the gear. If I change my mind or if I don't get a single order and all of it, you know, we'll still have the tags on and I'll figure it out. But um, yeah, I mean, I was really just kind of all in from the beginning and I was really, really nervous. So like after Outdoor Retailer and then sort of throughout that summer, Um, you know, I was building the website, working on this kind of building a team, figuring out where I was going to have office space and where I should like work out of. Um, and then was also then like getting ready to pour more money into marketing to like, let the world know that this existed. And lucky for me, I have a PR and marketing background. So that like really helped me kind of launch and like go to market sort of with, you know, in a strong way. Um, and I got, you know, some immediate write-ups from, you know, a lot of like the local Colorado, like business journals and startup outlets and things like that built in Colorado and 5280. Um, so that was lucky for me, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty much all in. Um, and then once I got my first order, it was like, Okay, huge sigh. <laughs> I am like not losing my goddamn mind. Like somebody out there wants the thing that I created. Like this is amazing. <laughs> um, but really, until that moment when I got my first couple of orders, I was really like, I don't know if I'm fucking insane. Like maybe I've just really lost my marbles. Um, you know, the year leading up to launching Slope Threads, as I mentioned, I was in the MBA program, but I had just moved back to Colorado from DC and I had just sort of quit and exited my pretty like comfortable career um, as a corporate marketing manager. Um, And I guess, yeah, really up until that point when I got my first sale, I thought that I might be like losing it. And I was like, am I just like insane? Am I having like quarter life (laughs) or midlife crisis or something? Like, am I crazy? And then Yeah. Once I got that first order though, those doubts like really, really started to fade. Um, and I felt once again, the confidence and the energy came back and I was like, okay, I'm on the right path. Somebody wants my thing. Um, and then things were good the first year. I mean, it was good. It was a pretty short season. You know, my sales were fine. I was happy with it. That kept, kept me very busy. Uh, as essentially the single employee. I did have a web developer and some other contractors who helped with various things, Um, but I pretty much ran like day-to-day operations, packed every box by myself. Uh, I had a laundry service, so I didn't have to do the washing, which is nice, but um, yeah, that first year went like pretty well. And then, um, then came the off season and I used the off season to really like prepare and plan for the next season. And then, yeah, that was last season, which ended tragically on March 9th (laughs) because of COVID. And really, it was that day. um, I think maybe within that week, I really considered, um, I have had an offer from somebody kind of in the industry uh, that has a similar type business, um, has offered to sort of buy me out of Slope Threads. Um, And that amount is nowhere near what I think it should be. <laughs> um, and so yeah. while that's like flattering and good to know, I mean, when I, when he first made me this offer, I was just like, "Ha, nice try. Like you need to multiply <laughs> that like, several times and, uh, then maybe we'll consider talking and, um, since then, we've just, it's someone I've been in touch with. And really, I mean, after the whole COVID thing happened, and I realized I had like six, seven months ahead of me with zero revenue, had to refund all those orders or cancel all those orders. um, I, that was definitely a low point, sort of, I would say, like, maybe early April, I really considered calling him up and just saying, like, screw this. I'm out. What do you, what do you have for me? I don't even, if, if it's what it was great. If it's less great, I don't even care. Just if I see anything from this, then it'll be worth it. Like that's really like how low I was. And thank God I like, I mean, I told a couple of people that I'm close with that I was just, I mean, they knew it was bad week or bad month. (laughs) Um, I told some friends or family and they were just like, Nope, don't do it. Like, don't do it. Now's not the time to like negotiate that, that and you're not going to be negotiating from a position of strength. And, um, you're probably going to regret that because like, this is, yeah, this is a shitty time. Like this is a shitty year and COVID has like wrecked you, but you know, just hang in there. Um, so I was, I did hang in there, did not call him up and take his money.
0: Um, I'm so to- proud of yeah. you.
1: Thanks. Yeah. So hung in there, made it through, uh, made it through March, made it through April.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm not surprised by the did
1: not sell slope threads. So yeah, still have it. Awesome. Getting ready for, yeah. I've already shipped my first orders of the season this year. They usually go out right around Thanksgiving. So those are, those are off, had some happy customers already. So still got it.
0: (laughs) So happy to hear that you know and i'm not surprised that the manufacturers and outdoor retailer were hesitant because in some ways you're well rent the runway exists you're kind of a category creation in the outdoor market and there's going to be pushback because people don't understand that and if it's busy and they're just not taking time to you know think through this even like what's in it for them <laughs> Power up on the computer. Yeah, dying. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're buying their inventory. What do they care where it's going to go and how it's going to get used? If you're placing bulk orders, let's figure it out. And I, I had that same thing with the warm front because I had to talk to so many sublimation vendors. Like, I want to send you a file. You print it and send it back. You don't have to cut. You don't have to sew. You don't have to do anything. And it was like, uh, we we can't do that. We're not set up to do that. and like, you have to do that to make your very own product. And thankfully, I found a woman in Portland, uh, Jennifer JLD Designs, that got it. Like just an email or two. And she's been wonderful. Like she'll actually fix my Adobe Illustrator flaws and she'll, she's just a wonderful person. And it's just, you just got to keep banging on doors and hopefully somebody will get it at least at some way and kind of go, yeah, we can do that. We can do that.
1: Yeah. I think finding the right partners is, uh, is difficult. Um, yeah. And I mean, to your point about the manufacturing industry and that those relationships, I mean that it was just tough for a few reasons. I mean, I get that they're, they're protecting their brand from cannibalization, from, online vendors, like from fly-by-night people who are just going to sell it, um, you know, undercut their, like some of their other customers. Um, there's just, there's a lot of concerns in sort of the retail, um, retail industry. And I, I totally understand some of those concerns, but I do think, you know, I definitely saw that the industry that is not one industry that has really made any attempt to sort of modernize or keep up with trends or sort of emerging business models. And, um, you know, hopefully they evolve. It's actually interesting. Cause I mean, even since launching slope threads, I've, I have been approached by, um, some people even within like the North face, for example, a guy who runs kind of their emerging business model group and they're thinking about rentals internally. I don't know. I'm probably not even supposed to be saying this on this podcast, but so these companies are they're trying to think about how to be innovative and creative and, but it's like, okay, but you won't sell me your gear, but then you're going to send your sort of like your this business person to come chat with me to get all of my ideas because you guys are thinking of launching like a similar program. And I don't know, it's just, there's not a lot of connectedness within those organizations. They are so large, they are slow moving. They are not agile or adaptive or innovative necessarily. They're just, behemoth and so how could they be? But um I mean the other problem I had with those conversations was that just nobody there were no females, there were no women. I think guys did not really get what I was doing. And then the gearheads, the you know, these are the season pass holders that live in Colorado and Utah and Wyoming and yep. ski a hundred days a year. And it's like, of course you don't get what I'm doing. Like you're not you're not my market. You're not my person. And it just <laughs> I got so freaking tired of having those conversations with like, you know, Sean, the bro trying to explain to him what I was doing and why he should let me give them like tens of thousands of dollars. I just got really sick of those conversations.
0: The bike industry is exactly the same way. It's all these flat bill dude bros that just want to go shred and like put in the the minimum amount of effort just to, you know, I'm using air quotes here, be in the industry. And it's like, dude, do your job, like look for opportunities. And yeah, the bike industry is the same way it is. It's a sausage party without a doubt, you know, and the bike industry this year is, you know, seeing the same things that the outdoor industry is just an outdated business model. And, you know, lead time, and you can't get past the manufacturing lead times, but sort of that retail brick and mortar model. And I love bike shops. I've got two friends that own them. I'm not saying put the bike shops out of business, but you have to adapt how your product gets to the end customer without a doubt.
1: I think so. Yeah. And then and the diversity I think is really important. I mean, Women in many industries are underrepresented, but I mean, woefully, woefully so in the outdoor sporting and recreation industries, um, mm-hmm. just, yeah, it, it got, it was difficult, like for a variety of reasons.
0: Yeah. And, but I don't get on the clothing side is the pushback you were getting because, There's ski demos, there's ski boot demos, there's snowboard demos. So the hardware side, yeah, go use our stuff, go take it out, like check it out. See, you know, what do you think? Go buy this stuff eventually. And the the chasm between the hard good and the soft good, why wouldn't you want more people wearing your stuff for a weekend and going, oh, like I had this amazing it was so cold in Breck when I flew in from Texas and I wore this, um, you know, Patagonia or North face stuff with slope threads. Like I love this jacket. Like I'm going to totally buy it. There's, there's a revenue stream there. You know, either you're selling it to them or they're buying it online. Like look at the possibilities people. Come on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of reception to, sort of my business model as a marketing opportunity, which is originally what I was thinking like, well, brands are probably just going to give me gear, right? Because they want other people to try it, but yeah, you know, they don't, they don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is a marketing opportunity, but I think when you're just talking about companies of this size um, and maybe that was, you know, maybe that was my mistake. Maybe that is still partially my mistake um, is working with these big brands, but you know, I assume and sort of know from my own sort of feedback and customer research is that my customers do want the name brand ski apparel. They don't want to be, you know, so I guess I could approach some smaller brands and say, Hey, like, give me some free stuff. I'm going to run it out. It'll help you gain market traction, do some marketing. Um, people can test your stuff and then they're going to go purchase it. But I don't know if I can say that with confidence that my consumers would go purchase it. Um and then aside from that, I think, you know, the demand from my customer in particular is really for those big brand, name brand ski apparel. Um and they want to look, you know, they they want to have the best like for their ski weekend in Aspen.
0: Yeah, and that makes total sense. I experienced that down in Texas because while I was selling Mercury wheels that was quality-wise it more it, it was a better wheel than some of the name brand stuff just because there was market and customer recognition. They're like, yeah, we love those, but yeah, we're going to buy these. And so if you're in a, a market, like to say Florida or Texas, where there's not ski people, it's whoever has the the best brand exposure. And that makes total sense that they're not wrong. It's just, they, they know what they know and you have to deal with that.
1: I think it's it's brand exposure and really I think another thing that has just completely infiltrated my world both as a marketer and as a business owner for Slope Threads is kind of the per- pervasiveness of influencer marketing and everything people see online in terms of trends and everyone has these affiliate codes and buy this with my link and save 10% and then that person gets a kickback and so I think these these big brands i think have also done an excellent job at sort of like infiltrating that sort of influencer market because they're the only ones who can afford to do that small brands cannot pay you know 500 well followed lifestyle instagram people to rep their product or post about their product but the big brands are doing it and so i don't know i think it's a little bit i don't now i'm just kind of down a rabbit hole on society, but you know, everyone's, (laughs) everyone's buying decision now is based on like what their favorite Instagram influencer is wearing and those brands. And it's like, well, I have to carry those brands. Like I can't just be totally independent in what I provide to my customers. Like my customers want certain things. And so I have to go, I have to figure out a way to go get those brands. Yeah. Just my, just my reality and kind of the nature of how sort of marketing and branding and kind of consumer expectations and demand is all tied in. So, yeah, I would I would love to support more kind of up-and-coming ski or kind of women-owned brands or just something a little more unique than, no offense, North Face and Patagonia. But, you know, just get like a little more creative in sort of my offerings. But unfortunately, um, I think my hands are a little bit tied in terms of my my consumer expectations. And I, I do have competitors, which is wild, but I do have a couple. So I also have to see what they're doing and what they're selling and um, kind of model, model their pricing. And um, so there's also that, there's just really a lot to consider. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think one perception of my company is that it's just kind of like this frivolous thing to, offer ski outfits and ship them all over the country. So people look fly on the slopes or whatever. But yeah, that's like what you see on Instagram. Like that's what you see on the surface, but underneath Mm -hmm. it's like all of these business decisions and sort of thinking about this and strategizing and the, the relationships and the wholesale buying process and the planning process. And selling the inventory that doesn't run well. And there's just like so much going on behind the scenes that I think people don't realize. Um, and I've done a lot of work really to that end to keep my business model simple on the surface. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's really a lot, a lot of thought, a lot of planning, an entire MBA. I mean, <laughs> years. I mean literally years at this point, I mean, between three and four years that I've just really gone into sort of the heartfelt, thoughtful, launch of developing a product in a service that really, that people want and people need. So.
0: Here's a question for you. And this came to me from one of my customers about my company and I tried so hard for so many years to make the warm front look bigger, more professional. Like I would always say, we this or our i would use the the plural when i was using pronouns and had a delightful conversation with a woman in canada and she said you really got to bring up the fact that you're essentially a two-person operation that people want to support a small micro nano business however you want to call it and with your with slope threads how much of it is you on your own public facing that, Hey, you know, you may be buying from slope threads, but you're really buying from Sarah. How much of that is in your marketing? And the second question is, do you think that makes a difference one way or the other?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think it's sort of, it's really a balance. Um, I think you have to sort of balance uh, it, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, you really have to balance consumer confidence. You want them to have confidence in the brand that you've built. You want them to have confidence that it's going to be a quality product that you know, in my case, arrives on time and very specifically um, when customers book their order with me, they, they put in their first ski date. So if their gear is not there by 8 p.m. the night before their first ski date and they miss out on that lesson or their lift ticket and they don't have anything to wear, they are pissed. And I can tell you that firsthand. Um,
0: Huge penalty for failure.
1: Huge penalty for failure. I have to eat the shipping. I have to refund the order. I'll probably lose the customer. They'll probably write me a nasty review very publicly on Google or Facebook and it sucks. Um, So there's a really high cost when I'm not sort of professional. So I think, Um, you know, just to answer your, answer your question more directly, it's a very fine line between looking like a professional operation, even though you're a very small business or a startup and, but then also connecting sort of one-on-one with your customers. So I find a lot of success in kind of appearing, you know, when I put a lot of kind of effort, time, money into my e-commerce website. So it is very it looks very professional. It's really easy to use. It's very smooth. I have all the automated emails. Um, It's a very seamless operation and a lot of thought went into that. So it's a very sort of professional feeling. And I, I have no doubt that, and I hope my customers think there are you know, 30 people behind the scenes, at least working, (laughs) working to make sure that their ski gear arrives on time. But I mean, the truth is it's pretty much me. A few contractors, a web developer, um, and more than I can count on all of my all of my hands. I guess I have two hands. So <laughs> more more times than I can count on both my hands, I have personally driven to like Vale or Aspen or Breckenridge when FedEx screws up an order, and I literally deliver the box personally, not to the person's face. I'll still put the shipping label on it. Like it arrived on time, but I mean, that's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And then, um, you know, I have, I added something last year, which really sort of increased my conversion rates, which is a live chat feature on my website, because people have a lot of questions. Um, you'd be surprised to know that not many people out there really know what size pants they wear, which is strange to me, but that is like, really the most common question that comes across on the live chat feature or, you know, if someone's particularly tall or just whatever. They have questions about sizing and shipping and returns. And so I instituted or implemented this live chat feature through Tidio, uh, which I love T-I-D-I-O for anyone looking to sort of implement this sort of like real time customer service feature. So thanks to Tidio, um, I'm often chatting with customers in the middle of the night (laughs) it pings to my phone and so I'm like you know chatting with people about what size pants they wear in the middle of the night I'm literally like this is the last few years of my life and so it's really sort of that high touch customer experience and then also putting like extra goodies in their order or then sending a personal email and just say you know We are a small business. We really appreciate your order. Like, thank you so much for your support. Like, we put some extra goodies in there for you. We hope you had a great time. If you enjoyed your experience, like, please leave us a review. It means a lot to us. We're a startup company or a small business or a women owned business or, you know, so I do, I, I try to be as high touch and sort of as personal with my customers as possible because while I think they enjoy kind of that automated, seamless experience of click, order, pay, email updates, shipping updates, yada, yada. I think a personal email also goes a really, really long way. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword between letting people know you're a small business and you appreciate their support and then also running a a buttoned up professional operation with a lot of customer service touch points and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's been many times where I've delivered Denver Metro orders just because I wanted to. I didn't have to, but it's like, hey, I'm going to be driving by your house and drop it off. And um, there was a, a customer today that ordered, uh, he was in Salt Lake City and got it. And he just, he described himself as a bigger gentleman. And I said, hey, we can do custom sizes. You know, I call that out on the website. Just tell me what you want but he was so I hadn't heard back from my email and I called him. He had his phone number and he's like, Hey, thanks for calling. (laughs) And I was like, you're welcome. Like I just enjoyed talking to him. And, and I like the, the personal connection and the people I've met through doing this, that that's been just the greatest reward. But yeah, I mean, if entrepreneurship and starting a business, you, you crystallize it, you drive up the mountain and put that box on their doorstep. if, it's not pointing fingers at UPS. Like you solve the problem and welcome to owning a business. Like it all stops at your, at your desk, at your feet and you've got to take care of it.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just thinking about like the personal loss sometimes, like when I have to refund those orders and it's, it's honestly, it's less about the personal loss than it is about the, cu- the customer loss. Cause it's like, okay, well I lose that order. I eat the shipping. Um, but that customer loses like a piece of their vacation and like, I just cannot sleep at night when that happens. And I mean, there are, there's certainly some instances and circumstances that are out of my control completely. And, uh, you know, just over the years I've had the opportunity to kind of anticipate those problems, like shipping around holidays, certainly shipping now is going to be very interesting, um, Shout out to FedEx though. So far they've been absolutely amazing and their, you know, delivery times have been great. But, you know, I will just say, you know, do my best to kind of anticipate those issues with the language on my website and say, you know, if your ski day is within three days, like there are really no guarantees that you're like going to get this on time, even if you pay for expedited shipping. Because if you're going skiing in Vermont, that's not an order. I can just drive and like drop at your doorstep. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I just, I do my best to kind of like juggle that, but there definitely when we're in sort of the peak of the season and it's hundreds of orders sometimes for like, you know, these holiday weekends and big like spring breaks and, uh, things like that. I mean, it just, it gets really, it gets really stressful and it gets really hairy and, I do what I can, but there's also that part of it too is just kind of like letting go. Like when when you've done all you can to communicate to the customer that, hey, this is a very last minute order and we'll do what we can. And these are our normal shipping parameters and we don't, P.S., we don't charge for shipping. Um, you know, like keep your, you know, try to keep their expectations in check. Um, you know, we do our best to do that, but it, it doesn't always work out. So I think there's also a piece of me that's learned how to just not let it ruin my day or my week or my month. Um, I used to get really, really upset about like botched orders or missed shipping deadlines or FedEx screw ups or things like that, like early on. But you know, there's also that other side where it's like, you cannot control everything. You cannot make yourself crazy. It's a business at the end of the day. And was this a miss? Yes. What can we learn from it? And then you got to move on. And you know, 90 99% of orders are great and go really smoothly and people are really happy. And you have to, you have to rely on that feedback and kind of that to just keep you feeling positive. Um, Pay attention to that stuff. It's, you know, it's a really happy customers you focus on and bring them back. And they're your, they're your brand ambassadors and they're the people that are going to share about your business um, to their friends and family. Um, They're your, they're your promoters. And so, you know, if you can capture most of those people, then I think you're, you're doing okay. It's impossible to, to make everybody happy. So.
0: That's something else I've always admired about you is that you literally care. It's not about, (laughs) it's, it just shows through. And every time we talk, that just shines through that you're, you're energetic, you're passionate, but that's great, but you care about the customer and you care about what happens, and I think that's one of your superpowers, and it's it's just wonderful to witness.
1: Oh, thank you. I do care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I want to take some time and go over your other ventures, um, Garden Gurus and Du Angels. Take me through those because those were those were new this year, right?
1: They are. They're both um, very new.
0: Because um, you have nothing else to do, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, Slope Threads is seasonal. And last year, you know, March when COVID hit. Um, March 9th. <laughs> my seasonal business got even, see, even more seasonal. Uh, very short. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I took a few weeks to sort of recover from the disaster of March 9th. And then I kind of, I mean, I really was having like an, Oh shit moment. Like I lost all of my spring revenue, which was huge to me. That was really the money that we need to sort of plan and buy inventory for this upcoming season. And, um, I was lucky there. I mean, there was a lot of resources available to small businesses and really, I mean, businesses of of all sizes, um, throughout the pandemic. And I definitely uh, took advantage of some of those programs and, thankfully was able to sort of pay all my vendors and uh, my employees and my contractors. And so I was able to kind of break even on last season, which was amazing, frankly. Um, Yeah. You know, I was pretty disappointed because it was supposed to be really a building year for me. And with those, you know, without those two months of lost revenue, I would have had um, just like a, a year that I was really excited about and really, really proud of. Um, and then of course, you know, that didn't go to plan with COVID. So, so whatever, I broke even on the season, but then I was like, well, got seven months here of pandemic life and,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> my job is over and I have no money to start my next season. of uh, so there won't probably be a lot of like purchasing or planning or hiring in the meantime. Um, And so, yeah, I really, really had an oh shit moment. And um, I was collaborating with a good friend of mine, also an entrepreneur and female owned business. And she runs a consulting company and essentially all of her clients like just dropped all their contracts. They're like, we can't fulfill these. We have no money. Nobody had any money. So she was like really in the same boat I was. And we we were just like, well, shit, what should we do? <laughs> what should we do this summer? Um, and so one idea that we had, um, something I'm i am really passionate just about sort of aesthetics and kind of design in general. And um, that might be like a piece of me as a marketer, but it's also just a lot of personal interest and in kind of creating beautiful spaces and design and decorating. And like, these are just kind of like some hobbies of mine. Um, but she... Just, she has one of the most impeccable yards I've ever seen. And she spends a ton of time just kind of like planting and gardening and pruning. And like, she just has this incredible yard. So she suggested that maybe we start a gardening business this summer. And I I was like pretty, pretty closed down at first. I was like, haha, that's funny. That's cute. (laughs) I'm like, well, maybe, maybe there's something in like e-commerce and like, we'll just start like shipping herb gardens or I don't know, like let's, you know, and it's like springtime. Like people are really thinking a lot about that. Everyone's like planting tomato plants and stuff on their balconies and their yards and whatever. Um, and I kind of laughed it off and, um, I don't know that it just kind of like sat with me for maybe like another week or two. And, um. I don't know. I went back to her and I was like, well, if we started this gardening business, like what would that look like? And she's like, well, I have a truck and I have all the tools and I know all the plants and I could just teach you and you just have to like show up and learn. And then we'll hire some, some people. Well, well, she, her son was in college and so she's like, his friends will probably be looking for jobs this summer. And I don't know, why don't we just like try to work on it and see where it goes. And so I um. I joke that like, if I ever write a memoir about, uh, I don't know, I'd have to do some really big things to deserve to like write a memoir, but between now and then that is, but, uh, I think in the running is the title, the reluctant gardener because (laughs) she basically like roped me into like starting this gardening business this summer. So we launched garden gurus, um, sometime in May. Uh, I, just put together a website, a really simple marketing plan. Um, as I mentioned, she had a truck, she had a bunch of tools, and we just started marketing ourselves as kind of like this COVID women-owned, like COVID-born women-owned gardening business. Um, and I had one friend post on, I think it was like a, the Stapleton Moms page, of which has like 10,000 like members or something. And so out of one post, we then were just like, people were booking these bids through our website. Like you would not believe, like it was the most insane, several few months of my life. And I learned, I did learn quickly. Um, I mean, it's not rocket science, but there is something to it. Um, There were also, you know, I felt like I had a lot of (laughs) translatable skills kind of on the business side, which really helped us kind of launch the business very quickly. Um, So from the marketing side to even the wholesale buying process. So we quickly were able to set up wholesale relationships with every major nursery and landscape supply company in Denver. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The rest is sort of like history. It's a blur. I mean, we probably service 250 customers this summer doing everything from planting like little, little vegetable gardens for sort of like yuppie couples to like doing balcony displays and flowers to doing like potted displays and flowers to full on yard renovations, including bringing in other contractors to like pour concrete, build walls. I mean, we had, we had relationships with like, you know, masons and um, like carpenters and we were just contracting with all these other landscaping firms that did a lot of the sort of like heavier, uh, like building and sort of hardscape side of things. And then, I mean, we installed sod, like we did all kinds of things. Um, And it was wild. We had, I think at our busiest point, uh, maybe eight to 10 full-time employees. Um, A lot of them were college kids who were home for the summer um, and who couldn't find work because so many other people were out of work. Everyone had already taken like the Amazon, jobs and the delivery jobs and whatever and so these college kids were just like thrilled to work for us so I mean we were just this motley crew we bought some t-shirts and we yeah we did very very little marketing honestly from the time of launch to the time it just like picked up it just it was insane um I'll just say for the record which I don't know I'm not sure quite how I feel about it but the gardening business in four months um eclipsed slope threads revenue last year so
0: <laughs> yeah but you had the data point of covid though so i don't know if that's totally yeah. accurate
1: yeah well and we we're hearing <laughs> that from a lot of customers from garden gurus that um you know everyone was spending more time at their house and in their yard and so they really wanted to like make it beautiful and warm and welcoming and make it a great place to spend the summer because people were not really traveling and everyone was stuck at home and so that was yes i mean maybe it was a unique year but i don't know it was just insane and it was so crazy to just learn about this completely other business like completely different business and it was just again like you know i i built a marketing career in washington dc and then you know i think i'm doing something wild by like launching the ski gear business And then, then I'm a gardener and I was just like, (laughs) holy shit, like what's going on in my life? Like, this is so weird. But, uh, yeah, so I spent the summer running garden gurus. Um, it's actually still going. Um, it's still something I own. Um, I will probably hang on to ownership at some level, although, uh, you might, you know, be shocked to know from the reluctant gardener here that I don't think it, will be my lifelong passion to run like a gardening and landscaping company. Um, it was really fun. It was great also because we were outdoors the whole summer. So, you know, mm-hmm. all that sunshine and, you know, I wasn't just like sitting behind my computer, like stressing out and compulsively checking bank accounts and freaking out about this upcoming ski season. Like, you know, it just really, it got me outside. It got me interacting with people. Servicing like really happy customers. They were just they were thrilled that we were you know a fully like women run gardening operation. We are incredibly detail oriented. Um, Sort of another skill that I found you know really helpful bringing to the table is some design experience. And so you know I downloaded some software. It was not terribly expensive um, to be able to just do these custom yard plans and designs. So was cranking these out, and it was just <laughs> god, it was just like so much fun. And I made money, and I thought this summer was just gonna be stressing out, like draining my savings, and freaking out about the future, like in some existential dread. But it was really the opposite, and it really just was such a positive COVID pivot. It was exactly the right thing at the right time, and um, you know, initially. I was like really embarrassed to even like tell people in my network or even my family, like that I was a gardener or that I was launching this gardening business. And I thought they would just like laugh in my face. Um, And by the time I finally got up the courage to make any kind of personal public announcement, I just, I was like, this is the best thing that like ever happened to me. And I just, am so happy to be like out in the sunshine, like, making money, like learning more about a business that, God, how would I have ever, I would just would have never under normal circumstances gone anywhere near that, you know? And, um, by the time I announced it to my friends and family, I mean, the feedback and the reception and then the subsequent orders and bookings from them was just, you know, totally fun and obnoxious. But, um, yeah, it was a wild it was a wild thing. And yeah, so I guess I will forever be the reluctant gardener, but just, yeah, (laughs) it it is a fun kind of COVID pivot story. And, you know, my counterpart, uh, Beth Cochran, who's also just phenomenal businesswoman, energetic, lovely person. Um, You know, she and I, I don't know, we're, I guess we're going to hang on to that, maybe see where it goes and maybe I've talked to several people in the meantime that are like, are you going to franchise it or something? Because it just was such a successful random thing. So now we're really kind of exploring that in, in some other ways, like from a, from a business standpoint, but she and I just, uh, we had a blast just like running that this summer. And um, yeah, I don't know. The reluctant gardener.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not to, not to oversimplify it but you brought beauty into the world right you improved yards and gave people something to look at and you made a difference and it and yeah I get that it's different from slope threads in your marketing career and I can understand the the reluctance to broadcast that but the thing that I wish I would have seen <laughs> I don't know if this happened I'm I'm imagining this in my head Let's hear is it. you Let's go hear it. Is, is you going maximum Sarah on a, you know, cement truck driver? Like I would have just loved to have seen that. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, I don't think like, yeah, I mean, we had some issues with mulch deliveries. Uh, No, I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't think I yelled at anybody all summer. I mean, it I was pretty, I was just so happy. Like, I had a lot of vitamin I know. D. I had a lot of vitamin <laughs> D in the system, you know, and they say that's really good for COVID, by the way, combating COVID. But um, no, it was interesting to be sort of a businesswoman and um, kind of that environment where really you, you're working with all kinds of people from all backgrounds, a lot of, you know, not necessarily educated people or people that are working on deadlines or that understand the importance of deadlines and timeliness and so yeah but I do think that's one thing that like really differentiated our our gardening and landscaping company from a lot that are out there is that um, those are people who have been in the industry for a long time they're sort of like the status quo which is like well your gardener will show up when they want to and your delivery will come sometime between Tuesday and Thursday. And you know, it's like Comcast, right? They give you like a this nine hour window. <laughs> In pre COVID times, you're like, wait, so I have to sit here for hours and hours and hours and we like wait for you to come. But it was, I did kind of find this like general sense of like just laissez faire, like don't, you know, no deadlines, like no accountability, charge whatever you want. Um, you know, so I do think, in some ways, I'd like to think that we were able to kind of like revolutionize the gardening industry in our little corner of the world. Because I think so many of our customers were just so surprised that they were dealing with business people, people who were detail-oriented and responsive, and customer service-oriented, and um, you know, I think just like the the quality of work and the level of detail and attention you know, that really, I think made up, made up for my lack of experience in the industry per se. And so I just think, you know, and I really, at the summer, you know, the beginning of the summer, I really was like downing myself, like, what have I done to like, kind of come to this point where I am like, so scared about the future and so nervous and so ill equipped to deal with like this pandemic and surviving it like financially and professionally. And, you know, what if this is just like the end of my dreams and, you know, this sucks. And, but it was really kind of the experience of, and sort of finding my stride in running this completely foreign business that I knew nothing about. And really that, that built, that brought me a lot of confidence in myself and just sort of the feeling. And I don't, I mean, it would take a lot to shake me at this point. Like if I could survive summer of 2020 and launch a gardening business out of thin air and acquire 250 customers and to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars in yard renovations, when I literally know nothing about that. I mean, it just is good to know that once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, right? And um, you really if you ever doubt yourself as an entrepreneur, I mean, just dig a little deeper and maybe it just does take kind of like these, these tough times and these hard experiences to push us toward our limits and kind of like doing something uncomfortable to really discover what, what we've refined and what we've learned and what we can still bring to a completely, uncomfortable and a natural scenario.
0: <laughs> That's such a powerful thing. And I, I, I learned that, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago is that when I have that anxiety and that fear, I learned, I learned this part first, which was to do something because you can, you can look at the ceiling fan at two in the morning and be like, Holy shit. Like what is going to happen here? And for me, even the smallest action, and it it could be the power of unloading the dishwasher, or it could be applying for a job or sending that email or writing something down, having some plan gave me at least the illusion of control and direction and and problem solving. And then the other part that I've learned more recently and just in the past few years is looking at that scary stuff and like, man, what if I lose the house and what if I drain my savings and like, what would I do? And, and embracing the worst case scenario and just going, I don't think it'll get there, but if it does, I bet I could figure this stuff out. And it, I I wanted to go back to that because what you said was so powerful and I, I can't commend you enough for just facing those fears and just doing something. That's all it takes. Do something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's really the point I was at. I was like, well, am I just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself and be mad at the world and mad at the pandemic and whine and cry and like lose, you know, drain my savings and, feel bad about doing anything fun this summer because it costs money. I was just like, no, that's just not, that's not me. It's not what I want. And the more, yeah, the more I thought about my, my friend Beth's proposition of launching garden gurus, I was like, you know what? Why not? Like, what else am I going to do? Like, there's just, there's not a lot going on right now. It's, it's a rough time. Um, let's just, we don't, we don't have a lot to lose. We've, kind of it's not, I didn't yeah. have to, I didn't have to buy like thousands of dollars of ski gear um, I created a really simple website and like we we're off to the races you know and so yes, I think like re- and also just my ability to rely on her in sort of the same situation and kind of trade notes and you know we're like, is this crazy maybe but like at least we'll do it together and like have a little fun and even if it just you know, puffs up into smoke, like at least whatever, at least we did something, you know? And then yeah. it it did not turn into a puff of smoke. It turned into this incredible thing and um, just totally unexpected and so fun and just so healthy. And I mean, I was like really fit this summer, like so, so buff. So, you know, I, we, <laughs> We called it the free gym because we're, you know, we're like shoveling and digging and delivering plants and just running around like crazy people. Um, so that was, you know, another silver lining. But yeah, I think just knowing from now on that I made it through COVID 2020, my ski business got crushed. And then just knowing that I could like rely on myself to launch something new, like using kind of a, combination of the random skills the skills i've built over the course of my life and i don't know it's just it's really it's funny to see sort of where that ended and it's funny to think i was just like digging in the dirt all summer and but i don't know it was just it was such a great time and i don't i don't know i it's it's hard to even like put into words but yes the biggest lesson and sort of takeaway for me i think is just that self confidence of like, wow, I, I could have just sat, um, sat around all summer and tried to collect unemployment. And I don't even know what I would have done. Like, I just would have been miserable. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but I didn't, I made lemonade, I guess.
0: Is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then tell me the, the story about DU Angels about doing something else. What Talk to me well, you about that.
1: Yeah, so DU Angels is also kind of a new new venture of mine. Um, I have been working with Caroline Gash, um, who is a respected uh, person, woman in the investment community. Um, She is also a DU alum. I'm I'm sorry for any non-DU people who have to listen to this podcast. They're like, "DU, DU, blah, blah, blah. I guess it is a great community of people. Send your kids to D-U. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not an advertisement. But um, I also met her through kind of the D-U alumni network. And um, she, yeah, has led a successful career, ran her own uh, private equity firm, um, and has been doing angel investing and uh, just just other in, investing and advising of startups for a long time. And I just, through some mutual contacts, we were connected over the summer. And she asked me if I was interested in helping her build um, an angel network for DU alumni or DU affiliated accredited investors. And I said, I'm not sure. Got some other things going on. I, for some reason, am running a landscaping company right now and also own another startup. But sure, like, tell me more. Like, we'll, we'll talk about it. So, you know, our 30 minute phone call turned into a three and a half hour phone call where we really just connected and um, she kind of told me about the vision she had um, for building a DU affiliated alumni network so or angel angel network sorry so i am now uh in the throes of launching the du angels which is an angel network um you know our our primary goal is to um facilitate investments into early stage companies um connected you know within the du ecosystem so all of our members um of which we have many, uh, and including an entire board of directors spread throughout the country. Um, everybody is affiliated in DU in some way, so they're either alumni, faculty, parent. Uh, anyway, they're, they're connected to DU. That is our membership. Um, but yes, our main goal is to bring them returns on these early stage investments. So. Uh, we are looking to do sort of a public launch of the DU Angels um, January 1st. Uh, we'll, we'll be putting out some announcements, um, seeking new members always. We would love to you know, hear from any DU grads who may be accredited investors and interested in, in learning more about the network. Um, but yeah, looking to make our first investment collectively as DU Angels um, in Q1 of next year. So um, the companies we are looking at are not necessarily DU affiliated. We're really interested in talking to any startups looking for that early stage capital, whether it be um, seed or series A. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. So I'm gonna be running that uh, full-time or as full-time as possible. Uh, I'm keeping slope threads, obviously. Uh, But that's kind of my other new passion. And Caroline and I decided that we are a great team um, because she really comes from the investment world. And as you have heard through this podcast, I really come from kind of like the gritty entrepreneur world, do whatever it takes, um, fake it till you make it, um, but just survive. So I really sort of approach uh, what I'm doing with the DU Angels, um, really with like the mindset of a one of our portfolio companies or one of the companies we would potentially invest in. And so, you know, I do think a very important role um, of anyone who gives an early stage startup money is a lot of kind of advising and coaching and connecting. And so I really feel like that is, that's kind of my value in this, in my motivation is to really represent um, the startup and the founder because I have been, I've been in those shoes. I still am in those shoes. And so um, we're, yes, we're the dynamic duo launching DU Angels. And we have, yeah, just an incredible group of people behind us, um, a great group of members and our board of directors already, and uh, full support of the University of Denver. Uh, they're actually allowing us to license their name for, for our venture, so we do not sit wow. under the structure of the university. We are completely separate structurally, um, alumni-run, uh, and operated outside of DU, but we have their full support, and they're extremely enthusiastic about what we're doing. and. Um, according to them, there, there have been groups of, in pockets of alumni kind of asking for something like this to be built for, for many years. And so we are finally bringing this to life. Um, there are a few other angel groups within Colorado, um, with which we are extremely, we're extremely friendly with them. Um, and so we expect also to have, you know, a fair amount of of member crossover, but yeah, that's, that's my new thing. And so starting in January, (laughs) it's going to be public. And, um, that's my new thing.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, um, I'll post links to all this and, um, before I get into like where can people find you, I just want to repeat that, um, I start a lot of things because they're, I find them interesting. I find them challenging and to have the convergence of the warm front and this podcast culminate in kind of a milestone. Um, you know, the hundredth episode here talking to Woo! you <laughs> <laughs> and, and just, um, I, I sincerely meant it when, you're a mentor to me. You're an inspiration to me. And I'm so excited to hear about your resilience and your success and your skills and to capture it and to finally release this story, which I, I loved. I don't know. We recorded the first one two years ago or a year ago. I don't even remember, but um, it's just been so amazing to even be, you know, a part of this, journey for you and and you for me and it's just uh such a wonderful experience and so i'm so happy for you i'm so proud of you i'm so thankful and it's just been wonderful so cheers thank you
1: hey matt who who saved too (laughs) (laughs) no thank you thank you so much i i really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story it doesn't Day to day, you know, it, it never feels like much, but I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm happy to tell the story always. And I hope it can inspire somebody out there who's maybe thinking about ditching their nine to five and doing something crazy, like starting a business. It's scary at first, but gosh, if you have any questions or you just need some motivation or a little bit of crazy down your throat. Just, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Matt, feel free to, to share that. Um, and yeah, you can always find me at slope threads or, or DU angels.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, I can't wait till things open up and we can, uh, actually literally drink together in person again. That'll be so much fun. Woo,
1: yeah, <laughs> Tacos and tequila. <laughs>
0: Promise me one thing that you don't change. Like, I think you're you're perfect. You're doing exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it. So uh, thank right you. on, sister. All right. I'm going to hit stop here and hold on one sec. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend, Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest, and good friend, Randy Wiaffe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.